Thank you, brother. Man, that's, that is so awesome. I love that Jesus never, never fails. And we have so much to be excited about. And that's why I thank you for being here at Summit because um, I think only at Summit we can pray the way Scripture ends. Of course, we put our flavor on it. You know, at the end of Revelation, it says uh, the word Maranatha or come quickly. But if you're at Summit, you pray like Robbie prays and it says... Um, just come God yo so um, and you know that's just that's just the way we do it at Summit well welcome a happy Mother's Day to everybody here and uh, we try to raise it up a notch at Summit we just don't want to just say happy Mother's Day we want to say a happy uh, Women's Day because every lady in this room you are special to the Lord and if you're special to the Lord you're special to us and so we just want to celebrate what Jesus has done and is doing in you. And so we're so excited about what the Lord is doing. And, and so it's because, women, you just can get away with things that men, we can't get away with. Now, I have a twin sister, so that makes me half woman. No? Okay, well, anyway, I, I thought I would try. Uh, you know, ladies, I, I, don't, I can't relate, obviously, but what I can relate is watching from the womb, uh, my twin sister, and, and that ladies, you just have this ability to comfort people. I don't know what it is. It's amazing. My, my wife was uh, keeping some children yesterday uh, from this church. That Their family will remain anonymous, uh, Jamie and Somas. And so we, we, she's keeping, and they have this beautiful, they have this Beautiful daughter, say how every, every one of their children are beautiful. Jeremy Knuckles, so glad you're here. Praise God that you're right with Jesus, you terrible youth pastor from Upper State. All right, so, um, and, and so what happened is their daughter, Sahel, she's, she's gorgeous. I mean, like, just beautiful, but she wants nothing to do with me, like nothing. I try to bribe her with food. I'm thinking food, right? Like men law, food. And no, no, just, I mean, loves, my wife Lynette calls her Nat. Uh, we'll go to uh, two of my children, Jaken and Josh, but absolutely will have nothing to do with J.D. and I. Absolutely just nothing. And I'm thinking, my wife just has this ability. Ladies, you have this ability to comfort people. Like, children just like to be in your arms and they feel safe and secure and, and it's just lovely. And, and, and listen, as a, as a parent, that's, that's important. My, my daughter used to want to come to my arms. But now, she goes to somebody else's arms. But that's another story anyway. So, but I'm just saying that it, you have this ability to do things, and, and God has blessed you. And it's interesting that the Lord talks about this in comfort. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's turn there. Uh, Bibles, it's on, by the way, the notes are on Facebook. They're on summitcharleston.com. You just get to see how the Lord does something profound in, here in 2 Corinthians. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians, sends this letter. He's in Ephesus. And he sends this letter uh, to the Corinthian church by Timothy. And, and it doesn't really go as well as he thought it was. The Corinthian church had some issues. And it doesn't really go well. So he writes this other letter. And then he sends it by Titus. And, and you know, at this time, not sure really where Paul is. Because he had been run out of Ephesus because of the riots and all kinds of stuff going on. And he faced severe persecution. But nonetheless... The Lord was moving mightily in there, and then all of a sudden, 2 Corinthians, we get to see this hope of the resurrection, and how the resurrection brings hope, because here Paul is just, 2 Corinthians, he's just bearing his, his soul, he's bearing his heart. 
I mean, he is a, he's a man of God just pouring out his heart and saying, here is all my struggles, here's all my strife, but in the middle of it, the power of the gospel is so powerful that it draws me into the presence of the Lord and I'm going to be okay. That's kind of the echoes of what we hear in Paul. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want us just to look at verses 8 and 9 for right now. Because there's something about hope that's hard to come by. Uh, Joni uh, Erickson Tata said, hope is hard to come by. And from a lady who went through a tragic accident, for those that know, and paralyzed, hope is very hard to come by. And that's why we're in this hole. That's why the word of the year is hope. That's why everything we've been doing hope. That right now, when this resurrection equals hope, we're moving into where the Holy Spirit equals hope because we're moving into Pentecost. And so we get to see that hope is what's missing in this world. And so why is hope missing? Why is it so hard to come by? Because hope is only real hope when we get beyond ourselves. Look at verse 8 and 9. It it explains it here. Verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now he's talking about Asia Minor or or Turkey and and Ephesus in that area in Greece. And that whole area, and he's saying, you know, he was in the middle of a riot. He had gotten run out. There was a really difficult time for him. I mean, his life was in danger. I mean, the whole city was coming against him. They moved him into the Colosseum, and they, they were chanting uh, for the Greek god. And, I mean, it's, anytime there's a riot, I mean, you're in massive trouble. And, and so, I mean, he had been in some very difficult situations, all because of the gospel. The next part of that verse. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, I'll go there. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our what, saints? That he will continue to deliver us. Uh, I need you to pray with me. Lord, I'm just praying that your word would go forth so powerfully by your power of your Holy Spirit because the gospel is true. It is the resurrection. It is the Greek word, Anastasius, that we can stand again regardless of anything and everything, and we will always need hope because we need you. And so, Lord, I'm praying today that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and that you would do something mighty. Lord, we love you, and you are good, and you are even better than that. And so we bless and we worship, and we glorify the name of Jesus. And all the saints said what? Amen. So let's look at this. So have you, why is hope only real hope? Look there in, in verse 8. It, it's, it, why do we need this? Real hope is this, the last part of verse 8. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. This is what hope is. Real hope is when we get to the end of our rope. Hope is when there's nothing else. 
you can't save yourself, I can't save myself, no one can rescue us except Jesus. At that moment, hope becomes real hope when there's nothing left except a miracle of God. That's where, why hope is beyond our ability to endure. And then the Spirit was asked me, said, it, it said, John, have you ever felt something was beyond your ability? And I want to personally express that to you today. Have you ever felt uh, something was beyond your ability, whether it was a job change, whether it was a career change, or whether it was uh, having a child, or, or whether it was a, uh, uh, maybe I, I'm in this situation and I don't think God can do anything about it, or maybe I'm in school and I don't know what's next, or maybe I don't like where I am, or what I am, or where I'm going, or what I'm doing. Beyond your ability to create something, have you ever felt like that, that it is outside of you, and no one else can rescue you, and so we turn, my eyes look to the hills from whence comes my help, my help coming from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Have you ever felt that way? What do I mean? Hope is only real hope when we can't control or fix or calm the situation. Uh, so look what it says there in verse 8. It says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Uh, in other words, that word great pressure, I just want to sit in that for a moment. It means, uh, one translation says, burdened excessively. But I want to give you the meaning of that word. I want you to take in the, the nuance of what Paul's saying there. It means this, that he is weighed down like he's depressed. If you took a, a spring that had, uh, had released, its pressure been released, and you push it back down, that's what it means, that we are burdened excessively, that he feels great pressure. And see, the Lord was showing me that that's what happens. What happens that the burdens, uh, I love the Good News translation, it's really a paraphrase, it says, the burdens laid upon him were so great and heavy that we gave up all hope uh, uh, of staying alive. He says, that's how bad it was. That's how bad I needed Jesus. In other words, I love what John Piper says, the Lord will bring us to a breaking point. When you follow Jesus, he is going to bring you to a breaking point. To, there's a place where it says, I'm going to have to step into a place where I totally trust him, where nobody can rescue me. Parents can't rescue me. Grandparents can't rescue me. Grandchildren can't rescue me. They can't rescue my thoughts. They can't rescue my pain. They can't rescue my hurt. And there's a place, there's a place that's a breaking point. Uh, you know, I was listening to uh, two of our students were taking an, uh, uh, an oral exam and, and the kinesiology professor walked in the weight room and he was explaining to them, he says, okay, explain this movement, tell me what muscles are enacted and all this stuff. I mean, it was, it was just like a lab exam. And so I'm listening, I, I'm just trying to listen because I, I, I'm enamored by education. So I, I was listening to it and he said something that I knew, but it was so great to, that he put it in a great perspective. He said, listen, when you're talking about the contraction of a muscle, you know, you contract. He says, when you contract, he goes, this is why, like, the idea of the length or stretching of a muscle is important. Because the greater the length of the muscle, or if you've stretched the muscle, the greater the length of the muscle, the greater the force of the contraction. In other words, if all you do is lift and you don't stretch, you can only get to so much of a contraction of a pressure on the muscle. But if you... But if you work the muscle with contraction and you stretch the muscle, then you have a greater ability to lift more weight because you have a greater contraction. Think about it in our walk with Jesus. These are breaking points in our lives. When God puts us in places where there's nothing left that we can rely on except Him, that's a breaking point. What He's doing is He's training our faith muscle. 
He, he's training it. He's, I, I love what he, John Piper said about our faith. He, the Lord puts us in places to keep our faith pure and to keep our faith strong. And why does he do this? Well, he does this, look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, some of you are going to say, I don't know if I've received the sentence of death. What I mean by this is, there's a lot of death that happens in our life before physical death. There's emotional pain of death, of relationships. There's emotional separation in jobs and careers. There's the uh, emotional traumas. There's uh, dreams that we have that don't come to fruition. There's all these, uh, I wanted to go out with this person that didn't work out. There's all these little, little deaths all through there. So I don't want you to think about just the physical death, even though Paul in this context is expressing that. But he's also talking about all the pain within that. He's saying that indeed we have felt we received the sentence of death. If you've ever been to a place where you felt like it's over, there's nothing left, then you're in the place where hope becomes real. He says this, but this happened that we might not, what's the next word, saints? Rely. There's a purpose, there's a purpose of the great pressure that you and I feel. That whenever we go through something, there's a, there's a purpose that we might rely, uh, might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's a purpose because let me tell you something. We can either, as Piper said, we can have a broken faith or we can have a built up faith. But either way, there's going to be faith involved. Because what's going to happen, God, if you follow Jesus, which we do, you're going to enter a place always in your life where there's going to be big decisions, big decisions, big decisions, or things that you have to go through, or things that you didn't even know were going to happen, that you're going to walk through, and all of a sudden, the only person left is Jesus. There's, it's outside of anybody's realm, any doctor, anything else, you might get this diagnosis or whatever else, it's outside of any realm, and it's only Jesus. It's only in his control. And at that moment, what do you do? Is there really hope? Paul says, yes. Second Corinthians is built on this. It's yes. It is about him. Why? Because he's going to do something. Now, I want to go to a place uh, in here to show you how God brings us to breaking points. So if you have your Bibles, keep your finger there in Second Corinthians chapter 1 and turn with me if you don't mind. I'm going to add this. I'm sorry. So sorry, Brandy, but I love you. My daughter, I love you. Mark chapter 4. I want to add something here. Mark chapter 4, there's a parallel passage to this in, Mark, in Matthew 13. But Mark chapter 4, he's talking about the parable of the soils. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so he's going to talk about these souls. Mark, Mark chapter 4, I want to look at verses 16 and 17. And then I want to skip to verse 25. This is what freaks me out. This is really powerful. Uh, John Piper right on this. Many people, many theologians have written on this. Really good stuff. But when you look at the scripture, it's amazing what happens. Look here. He says, and the, this first soil is basically people hear the word of God. It's callous. It's hard. They got a hard heart. It doesn't even penetrate the heart. And the birds of the air come and take it. And that's Satan. Satan just distracts you. Get your mind off of it. Boom. Next thing you know, you didn't even hear the word of the Lord. But there's some of the people that receive the word with great joy. And then he's going to say the sun's going to come up and it's going to scorch. In other words, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be strife. The world's going to bring some type of challenge our way. And then he's going to say this. Look at Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Others, like seed sown, that's talking about the gospel of Jesus, 
on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. So for example of this, we proclaim the gospel, people say, yes, I want to receive Christ. They're bawling, they're like, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I, I mean, they receive it with joy. They're changed. You see, you see this change, but wait. But wait, is that salvation? But wait, is that salvation? See, I'm not convinced, and I want you to know this because this is very important. I'm not convinced that salvation is when people come and say, I want to receive Jesus, and all of a sudden I need him, and I'm broken because of this, and maybe I'm, I'm crying, and we see some type of change. But I believe there's a difference between that, which is emotion, and that which is true salvation, because true salvation is seen when you hit rock bottom. When there's nothing else but Jesus, then we'll know. How can I prove that? Verses 16 and 17. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Verse 17. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, what does the scripture say? What does it say, saints? They quickly what? That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's going to be in following Jesus, Jesus said prophetically, and his words never return void, and they always come to fruition. They do not fail. He said, and I'm going to use a popular verse, in this world you will have what? So see, that's when you know, that's when we can see, like I can't judge anybody's heart, I don't know people's heart, it's between them and the Lord, but I can say this, when persecution comes, when persecution comes, if they fall away and there's no repentance, Peter, if there's no repentance, then you and I, if they came to me as a pastor, as they came to us as followers of Jesus, we would say to them, do you think, they say, do you think I'm saying, look, I can't judge that, but what I can say is this, you will know them by your fruit, and your fruit shows not. It's not the moment that we're, yes, I'm telling you, but the external evidence that I see as a pastor all these years, as I can tell, when people hit rock bottom, do they have the rock of Jesus? That's the question. Because here's, uh, you say, but John, now you're just kind of taking this out of context. Really? Well, let's look, let's, I don't want to get too theological, but let's look at the pericope. That's a fancy theological word for the section of scripture. Let's really dive into the language if you want to. Go down to verse 25. Now, the editors in your Bible break this up because they break things up in sentences. They break things up in paragraphs. But uh, that's not the way it was written in the text. In the text, it's just like a column and then a column. And then, a, I mean, that's the way it's written. So here's what happens. Then in verse 25, within that confine of that text, look at verse 25 of Mark chapter 4. This is a, the very interesting passage. Whoever has will be given what, saints? Whoever does not have, even what they have will be what? Even what little faith they thought they had. God will allow to be taken from them in the moment of trouble. 
I have to preach the whole gospel. I have to show you that's what it means. See, here's what's beautiful about that. You say, but John, what about us? Or what about me then? Or let's look at my life. Um, what about me right now? I've fallen away. I feel like I've fallen away. I feel like I've fallen Listen, here's what's great about the gospel. Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. He didn't fall away. So when I fall away, I can still repent and come back and rest in his ability that he didn't fall away. I'll show you in this. I'll show you the beauty behind that. Because not only does Jesus remove the weight of sin, but he removes, removes uh, the, the weight of this great pressure. So here's the main point of today. Here's the one landing point that I want to land on. Jesus' resurrection brings hope because he is the only one who can carry us through. Someone asked Robbie to play over me. I, I, I want him... I want, I, want, I want you to see Jesus is the only one who can carry us through. So those moments that I falter, those moments under persecution, those moments of those, those things that I'm so embarrassed about the Lord and I'm, I'm so afraid of what God might, uh, uh, of what other people say instead of standing up for the Lord. All those moments. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. See, Jesus went through a moment of greatly distressed. He went through a, 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 a place where there was great pressure. He went through the second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight, that Paul knew about so well. See, he went to this. See, they're on the cross. On the cross, Jesus did something that only, only he could do. Go back to second Corinthians chapter one, verse nine. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse nine. Well, actually, let's go to verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed. I don't have my Greek New Testament, but I bet it's the word idiotes, where we get the word idiot. That's, today, that has a negative connotation. It didn't have a negative connotation back in the original language. It just meant uninformed. Brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. So the, here's this language again. We're under this great pressure, this, this difficult time. We go through these difficult times and we fall short of the glory of God. We just don't make it through the great pressure. But the good news is the power of the gospel, that is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and him paying the penalty, being crushed by God in Isaiah 53.10, him paying it for us because we can have all the freedom in Christ now because of his love for us and the indwelling and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We have that because of the gospel. Now when we are under great pressure, even though we may fail, he does not. And we sing that. So he says this, we are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. It's that bad. It's totally out of control. Jesus went through something that we could not handle faithfully. So Jesus there on the cross with his arms spread wide there, and, and he says this statement, and you remember there in the middle of the statement under great pressure, he's there nailed to the cross. He's asked God to forgive the people their sins. He's asked God to, to bless them, and all of a sudden he turns around, and he says, and he looks up, and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou what? Anybody? I mean, he's absolutely at the place. Does he have good soil or rocky soil? He's at the place where we've been challenged. The places that people go through. And what does he do? He begins to quote Psalm 22. He says, 
in Psalm 22. He begins there in verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some people say, well, why doesn't he quote the whole psalm? Well, he can't because he can't breathe. And every disciple of Judaism knew that when you began to quote the psalm, you were quoting the whole psalm. And so the rest of verse 1 says this, why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. That's what he's echoing on the cross. But he's not just echoing this place of desperation. But he trusts God so much, even in the cross, that he's saying the whole psalm to everyone that knew. The Pharisees knew. The religious leaders knew. The Sanhedrin knew the psalm. They had it memorized. So they knew that he wasn't just quoting verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. But he's also quoting verse 24 where he remembers, Jesus remembers God this way. For he, meaning God, has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but listen to his cry for help. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do, that in the very moment, that's why he did it for people, uh, Peter, it was just before the cross, he did it for Peter because he had already prayed for Peter, and Satan asked to sift him as wheat, he had already prayed for Peter, so when Peter supposedly fell away, he never really fell away because of the powerful work of Jesus before his falling away. So Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So at the very moment you and I deny Christ and our hearts are wrecked by it because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is still in front of the Father saying, Father, forgive John for he knows not what he does and he's under my righteousness because I did for him on the cross what he couldn't do for himself. That even when he thinks you forsaking, I'm praying for him that you will remember my prayer. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Jesus has done for you. So when you pray and you're saying, God, I really, I'm broken. I really need this. I really need this. I want you to know Jesus is praying for you. He is praying for you with such power and anointing. That's why you have to preach the gospel to yourself daily. You have to remind yourself that when you're around, uh, around crazy people at work or wild people at your house or whatever else, preach the gospel that Jesus is doing for you and I what we can't do for ourselves. He is the one who stood in the cap. He is why Peter was brought back and reinstated in John chapter 20. You see this beautiful picture because he was, he was never gone because of Jesus. Peter never fell away. He denied Jesus, but Jesus didn't deny him. And so when you and I deny Christ, Christ doesn't deny us. Because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is why he can handle all the pressure. So we have the beautiful messianic passage in Isaiah chapter 9 that we use so often around Christmas. But I try to use it more and more and more around us at Summit all the time to remind us of the prophetic hope of the gospel. For to us, 
a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he, excuse me, and the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus' shoulders are so big that the government rests on his shoulders. How much more can we rest our burdens on him? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. And I love this. And it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When Jesus carries the government, there's always peace. That's what he does. When you allow him to rule your life, you have peace. And peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of pain and suffering. But in the midst of the very sorrow, in the midst, there's the comfort of that the resurrection brings, and that is why we can have hope, and that is why we can have beauty. I want you to see this. This is what's powerful. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's get to this. This is really good. Verse 10. No, excuse me, verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. Everything that you and I go through that brings us to those rocky places where either Jesus is going to break through and be our source of strength or we're going to fall all those difficult places in our lives he says this but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves there's a purpose remember what John Piper said there's a purpose this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead the whole purpose of everything that God is allowing us to go through, when people go through difficult times, let's remind them the very words of the Holy Spirit that are wonderful prophecies for our comfort and edification, 1 Corinthians 14, that remind them that it is so that we will rely on God. John Piper wrote this, and I, I wrote this down because I couldn't say it any better. He says, if you think your suffering is pointless or that God is not in control or that God is whimsical or cruel to allow you to go through this he says this then your suffering will drive you from God instead of driving you from everything but God this is why we turn to Jesus let me show you something very interesting as we land this plane, the sermon. Let me show you something as we engage in the power of the Spirit. Let me show you something that's hidden in the Scripture. This is so amazing. Look at verse 10. I can't get over verse 10. I can't get over it. Jeremy, I expect you to preach verse 10, okay? When, when, Lord, when I come up there in June, I expect you to preach this, man. I want you to bring the noise. That's how we talk, yo, at Summit. Yo. Yo. Verse 10, he has what, saints? He has what? Okay, English people, is that pastor present? Okay, this scares me. It's past tense. It's got the ED on the end. It's past. Notice the, listen, check this out. He has delivered past us from such a deadly peril, and he will present Deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver future. What? 
It's all right there. Past, present, and future in that verse. That our God has delivered us, is delivering us, and will deliver us. Is that not good news? That the God of the universe is interceding for us. Then when we fail, he is still great. That when we have shortcomings, he is still great. And that the God of the universe wants to send comfort to us. He is for us. He is with us. He loves us. He cares for us. I mean, think about how good God is. God wants to give us comfort. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us love. I mean, think about it. I was listening to Judah Smith this morning in a little jam. It was, it was awesome. Think about how wonderful God is. Think about how beautiful. Think about the garden. You don't think God, you know, here's what we think. We, we, we become Christians all the time. we got to be serious all the time. All serious all the time, people. people. It's right or wrong. It's heaven or hell, people. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. God is wanting to give us God. Think about the garden. How cool is the garden? I mean, you have all this food. Okay. You have all this food. I didn't get any witnesses on that. I mean, think about how beautiful the garden is. You've got vegetation. You've got, for all you animal lovers, even that's for people that love cats. I don't know how they're going to make it to heaven, but some of you think that. And so there's all these animals running around, and people are all excited. There's a river with gold, people, a river with gold. God likes bling. There's relationships. There's nudity. Sex people. In due time, my friend, in due time. Do you see what God is doing? Like he's allowing us this beautiful privilege to enter into his joy. Now, let me just see, show you something beautiful and we're done. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. This is how beautiful the Lord is. I want to just, I want to give you a little bit of a question and let you answer. So here's, here's the question. Will you do me a favor? And the answer is yes. I would like for you to count how many times the word comfort is in verses 3 through 7. I want you to just count in your head and in the end I'm going to ask you how many times. And then you're going to tell me. So we're going to read verses 3 through 7. Five verses. We're going to read these five verses, and, and I'm going to ask you to count. How many times is the word comfort said or written in verses 3 through 7? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all what, saints? Who what? Comforts us in our troubles so that we can what? Comfort those in any trouble with the what? We ourselves receive from God. Verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our what? Abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your... And salvation. If we are what, saints? It is for your what? Which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope, notice that word hope, for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, 
so also you share in our what? Okay, so I have a question. In verses 3 and 9, verses, excuse me, verses 3 through 7, this passage, how many times was the word comfort used? Nine. Nine times God expressed comfort to us, did he not? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Nine. Nine. God is trying to express that in the midst of everything, that his spirit will give us everything we need according to his riches and glory. Because his spirit is the one who's called the paraclete, the one who comes to our aid, the one who matters. That is what the word paraclete means. That is what the word Holy Spirit is. He is called the comforter in John chapter 14, verse 16. It says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Counselor, comforter, it's the same word. It means to come to one's aid, to call to one's aid. What a joy it is, I love what Wiersbe said, what a joy it is to know that God stands at our side to help. Did you know that the word counselor and the word comfort mean the same thing? Comfort means to come to one's aid, to call to one's aid. That we can call for comfort. That we can call for the presence of the Spirit. That we can call this within us, the Holy Spirit, to take over and lead us, which he should be doing. That's what we can call for. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says that God is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all that will come to our aid. 1 Peter 5.10 says, and the God of all grace. We get comfort and grace when we call on his presence. And then I want to land with this. 2 Corinthians 1.11. Well, let's start at the end of verse 10. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Why do we have a time where we pray for one another? Well, one, we call to the comforter, which means to call to one's aid. The nine times you saw the word comfort in verses 3 through 7, you're saying every time that there's comfort, that God has come to our aid. And today, we want to give you the opportunity in this room to pray for somebody, to call for God to come to your aid. Or maybe you're interceding for somebody that you know that's struggling to call for your aid. Maybe you need a divine miracle. Well, call for God to come to your aid. He is the comforter. But then he also says in verse 10 and then there in verse 11 that you see there, as you help us, by your prayers, which means you're not just praying alone, that God is not just sending his spirit, but he's sending the body of Christ to come alongside you, to help shoulder up next to you, to carry those burdens, that God will do miraculous works. That is why we have people in the prayer room afterwards, right outside the front doors, there's people in the prayer room ready to pray for you, ready to help you, that they're called by God to come to your aid, to take your needs into the presence of the king, because God has said, pray for one another 
and the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So that's why we do what we do. And because of the power of the gospel, we have an open door because God loved us freely. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Absolutely nothing. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God by his blood. It was the blood of Jesus that covered our sins and washed away all of our sins, threw it as far as the east is from the west, and he did it to prove it and sent his spirit to be with us forever. Called this sealing in Ephesians 1, or as we saw in the prophetic word of Jesus in John 14, 16, that the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. So do you need to call upon the Lord today? If you do, the altar is always open because his presence is always here. Father, that is my prayer today. Is there anyone in this place that just wants to come and kneel? Maybe pray for one another. Maybe lift up one another. Or maybe just call, say, God, I, I, got, I, I got something. I need your aid, Lord. I need your aid. I need you to come today. I'm calling for you. I'm calling. You are going to be my aid. You said it. You promised it. And your word never returns void. So who, Lord, in here needs to even come for somebody else? Maybe they come from a family member. Maybe they come for something in the future. Maybe they come for a, a, a co-worker. Maybe they come for someone in another country. I don't know. But God, we're asking you to come to our aid. I'm standing here on behalf of Summit Church and asking you to come to our aid. We are nothing without you. We are absolutely nothing. And if it wasn't for the work of Jesus Christ, we would all fall away. But because of Jesus... We can come boldly and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because, as 1 Peter 5.10 says, you're the God of all grace. And as 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, you're the God of all comfort. You will meet us in every place that we need. So we come to you, Lord, calling for help. This is what's on our heart. It's in the deepest part of who we are. We're asking you, Lord, to do something mighty. We're going to pray for our friends, our family, the people we work with, our classmates, or if we just graduated and we're facing a new world. If God is for us, who can be against us? We come to you, Lord, asking for your aid. And Lord, if there's anyone in here today, that has never seen the beauty of Jesus and walked from death to life. And their spirit, Lord, you have, your, has, has been awakened by your spirit. They have a chance to say yes and receive and surrender. Pray. They would realize they cannot do anything to cover or repay their sins. Only Jesus. He's the only righteous sacrifice. He's the only one who can come to, the, to our aid. And that is why he is Savior. We call upon you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for every woman in this place. And I pray that you would bless them immeasurably more than they can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name I pray.